Welcome in, humans. For the next two episodes, I have a particular topic I want to cover. And I figure that it's going to take about two episodes to get through it. It's an important topic, and I hope that it's not anything too deep or intimidating for anyone listening. So first off, we're going to start with a chapter from a book that was written by Paul Murray, M-U-R-R-A-Y, O-P. That means he's a Dominican friar. He wrote a wonderful little book that's called St. Catherine of Siena, Mystic of Fire, Preacher of Freedom. I highly recommend this book. And in these two episodes, I'm going to focus on one chapter in particular. That is chapter five, the title of which is The Shadow and the Self, The Visions of Catherine and Jung. That's J-U-N-G. And the whole purpose of this chapter is to compare and contrast the Christian perspective especially Catherine of Siena's perspective, to Carl Gustav Jung. Again, that's J-U-N-G. If you don't know, he was a, it says here, modern depth psychologist. And he had a certain uh, view on our understanding of ourselves. I'll read you the first couple sentences from this chapter to give you the overview, they say, the phrase, quote, don't be afraid of your own shadow, end quote, occurs in one of Catherine of Siena's letters, and it is an image that occurs many times in her writings. That same phrase, or a form of it, occurs also in the work of the modern depth psychologist Carl Gustav Jung. In his book, Aeon, or Aeon, however you pronounce that, researches into the phenomenology of the self, while noting that a lot more people than one would expect are afraid of the unconscious. And that's in quotations, quote, afraid of the unconscious, end quote. Jung writes, quote, they are even afraid of their own shadow, end quote. So again, the whole purpose of this chapter is to compare and contrast this idea of the shadow of the person, of the human being, the view of, of what that is and how it works and how we deal with it. We're comparing, contrasting Carl Jung's view and the overall Christian view, especially as seen in Catherine of Siena. Okay. So, the idea of the shadow for... Jung is uh, an unconscious thing, it's something that we're, we're not always aware of, but is there nevertheless. And for Catherine, the idea of the shadow is really a, a placeholder or a metaphor for sin. So that's the first contrast you can see there. For Jung, it's just an unconscious 
um, desire or, or memory or, or whatever is going on subconsciously, unconsciously in your mind, something that you have trapped away or buried or whatever, all that kind of stuff. It's something that's in there that you don't want to face. But for Catherine and for Christianity in general, that is typically referred to as a sin. Some sort of sin that you are hiding from yourself and hoping to hide from others. It's something that you are afraid of and don't really want to be, or don't really want to face. And sometimes you may not even be aware that you're doing it. I'm going to read a little bit more from this chapter. It says, in particular, I propose in the pages that follow to present as clearly and accurately as possible Jung's teaching regarding, quote, the shadow, and then allow Catherine of Siena to speak as a representative of the Christian vision. It goes without saying that, in the medieval work of Catherine, we don't find the technical scientific language and understanding that have been developed in modern depth psychology, but Jung himself would be the first to assert that what is meant in his work by the shadow is not some kind of strange darkness or neuroses exclusive to the modern world, but rather a dimension of human experience manifestly present in every age and in every person. Jung also writes, This act is the essential condition for any kind of knowledge. What act is that? It is facing the shadow. It is understanding it. It is um, not burying it anymore. Paul Murray writes, Becoming conscious of this shadow within ourselves clearly demands a considerable moral and spiritual effect for it is not easy to acknowledge as present and real these darker, murkier aspects of our, of our lives. And then he says, yet Jung writes, this act is the essential condition for any kind of self-knowledge. Accordingly, however hard we may try to avoid the tough inner work of facing ourselves, such avoidance is of no avail. For in the end, as Jung tellingly points out, nobody can dodge his own shadow. So that's Paul Murray mixing in some uh, quotations from Carl Jung. And in particular saying that, you know, we, we try to bury those things. We try to um, pretend like they're not really an issue. But ultimately, if we ever want to understand ourselves... We have to face those things. We have to drudge them up and look at them and understand why they're there and even more so understand why we would rather not look at them. Because if we don't ever look at them, if we don't ever deal with it, we're never going to really know ourselves. We're never going to really understand ourselves. And more importantly, we're never going to be able to grow and learn and progress and, and do any of those kinds of things. So it's a very important thing. It's a difficult thing. It's an uncomfortable thing. But it's a necessary thing. So moving on to Catherine's perspective. Now I've given you a little overview 
of what Paul Murray says is Carl Jung's perspective, we move on to Catherine of Siena's perspective. She says, let me find it here. She basically, like I said before, sees it as uh, selfishness, as a sinful self-love. It's something that we, we don't like to admit to, but nevertheless it's there. And if we don't admit to it, and if we don't face it, then we'll never conquer it. We'll never overcome that sin if we never acknowledge the fact that it's there. If we never confess it, is another way of, of saying it. Okay. A couple more pages here. I can't read you the whole chapter, obviously. I don't know if I'd get in trouble with copyright laws, but otherwise it would take a lot of time. Okay. Here's what Catherine says. Or Paul Murray is, is describing what she's saying. Catherine of Siena, in attempting to describe the phenomenon of the, quote, black shadow and the acceptance of it, employs a number of different phrases, such as, quote, the dark of self-knowledge, end quote. Or in Italian, it's la tenebra del conoscimento di sé, is her actual wording, la tenebra del conoscimento di sé. It's the dark, the shadow, la tenebra, the shadow of our own self-knowledge. It's a dark area of our own consciousness. The phrase is both memorable and significant. In the text where it occurs, Catherine notes, as if by way of explanation, quote, if we do not see our own darkness, we cannot know the love and light of divine goodness, end quote. And then Paul Murray goes on to say, in the dialogue, reference is made at one point to the dark blemish, or la macula, that we see on the face of our soul when we approach the mirror of God's truth. In Catherine's phrase, la macula della faccia dell'uomo, or the dark blemish of the human face. Though it is manifestly painful for human beings to accept the dark of self-knowledge, is knowledge that must somehow be acquired. Nevertheless, it would not be good, Catherine warns, to dwell exclusively in this knowledge of ourselves because we would become discouraged and weary, and from discouragement we would end up in despair. So Catherine agrees with Carl Jung that it is necessary, however difficult, however uncomfortable, it is to look at the darkness, look at the sin, look at the blemish, However uncomfortable that may be, it is necessary. Because if we don't know ourselves in that way, then we can never really understand the need for God's divine goodness. To push it even further, we'll never understand the need for a savior. That's what you see a lot of the time in modern psychology and modern understanding these days is that, oh, well, whatever inadequacies, whatever mistakes or faults that I may have, I can overcome them by myself. I can just do it, whatever I need to do, whatever kind of therapy I need to, to incorporate or whatever it might be, whatever I need to do, I can overcome that. But Christianity will consistently, no matter what age, tell you, 
No. This is not something that you can overcome on your own. This is something that requires a savior. This is something that requires someone who is outside of sin to step in and remove that blemish. That's where Catherine will ultimately take it. And then she furthermore says that while it is building upon what Carl Jung said, it is necessary to acknowledge the shadow, the darkness, but we don't want to sit and dwell on it because if we do, it's very easy for us to become discouraged, for us to fall into despair and say, oh, I'm no good, I'll never be any good, I'll never get out of this, I'll never do anything that's worth anything. No, we can't, we can't do that. That's not good for us. So then, Paul Murray continues on explaining Catherine's view, and he says, When Catherine exhorts, in one form or another, quote, don't be afraid of your own shadow, what she has in mind most often is the issue of cowardice and timidity, the fear we have of confronting suffering. But when, in one particular letter to a young Benedictine monk, she declares we mustn't be afraid, her most immediate concern is the monk's fear of his own inner darkness. On this occasion, what she recommends is a practice not dissimilar to modern psychological theory. The hidden and repressed fears of and thoughts, however murky, should be brought out into the light and shared with another individual. Here, the trusted listener Catherine has in mind is not, needless to say, a psychologist, but rather a wise spiritual guide or confessor. Quote, when evil thoughts or strong temptations regarding some specific thing, no matter how ugly, come into your heart, never keep them inside, but reveal them to the Father of your soul. We mustn't be afraid, but must reveal our every infirmity to the doctor of our soul. End quote. That's the direct words of Catherine in the letter she wrote to the Benedictine monk. So, as, as Paul Murray is explaining to you there, Catherine's most focused on the sin of cowardice, the sin of, of allowing ourselves to be overtaken by fear and not holding on to the power of God, not relying on his grace. That is a sin. To allow yourself to become discouraged and just not do the things that you know you need to do or you should do. That is sin. And she's in exhorting this Benedictine monk to not be afraid to do those things. And more specifically, confess it. Tell somebody. Tell somebody, look, I, I don't know what to do with this. I don't like it. I don't feel good about this. It scares me. You can tell a trusted friend. You can tell a spiritual guide, maybe a mentor or a spiritual director. But most importantly, you have to tell God about it, as she calls him the father of your soul and the doctor of your soul. You have to tell him every single thing. It's not that he doesn't know. Of course he knows. But she agrees with any modern psychologist that it's not something that you can keep stuffed inside of you. You have to get it out. You can't just keep it stuffed in there and say, well, God knows what's going on. God knows what, what the problem is here. Mm -mm. You need to get it out. And the best way to get it out is to go to confession and confess that sin. Confess that cowardice, confess that fear, confess that despair, 
whatever it may be, just go and confess it. Say it. Say it out loud. And you will ultimately feel better. And, more importantly, since you received a sacrament, you will be given the grace necessary to overcome it. If you sincerely go and confess it, you will be given that grace. So she exhorts the monk and she exhorts all of us to go get it out. So that you can get over with it and move on and be better. And this goes along with, or you could say, dovetails with what I said before about um, minding your own business and not judging other people. How? How does that go along? Well, I will explain to you. There is a section in here where uh, Paul Murray delineates the idea of projection, what uh, modern psychology calls projection. That's where we are doing something wrong that we know is wrong, that we hate, but we are powerless to stop it, or we don't will to stop it. So instead of confessing it, instead of admitting to it, we take that guilt and we turn it into projection. We start pointing out that fault, whether real or imagined, in other people. And Paul Murray says, No aspect of Jung's teaching on the shadow is more worthy of study than his reflections on the phenomenon that he calls projection. The word itself, of course, is never employed by Catherine of Siena. Nevertheless, a number of her reflections on the subject, and Jung's own reflections, are thrown helpfully into relief as soon as the two visions are placed alongside one another. The shadow aspect of our nature, which needs to be acknowledged with humility and courage, is, according to Jung, that dark half of the psyche which we invariably get rid of by means of projection. That means, in practice, burdening our neighbors with all the faults which we obviously have ourselves. Jung points out that if the individual is to take stock of himself, it is essential that his projection should be recognized, for two reasons. First of all, because the face of the neighbor has been falsified by the projection, and second, because the things that have been projected belong to one's own personality and need to be integrated with it. This, Jung remarks, is one of the most important phases in the wearisome process of self-knowledge. We see this. We see this all the time. I know some people in my life that I see do this on a regular basis. Instead of facing that imperfection in themselves, they instead either accuse other people of having that imperfection and they don't have it, or they're constantly trying to fix that imperfection in somebody who does have the same imperfection. They're constantly focused on trying to fix that person, yet never achieving their own reconciliation, their own perfection, getting rid of it themselves. That dovetails with minding your own business and not judging other people. Because basically what you're doing is saying that I know what that person's problem is. Here's what so-and-so's problem is, and here's what they need to do about it, and yada, 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 yada. Stop it. You are not their judge. You cannot fix them. 
What you need to focus on is you. What are your sins? What are your imperfections? And how can you fix that? Don't judge other people. Mind your own business. And I have heard this explained in another way that I think is is very helpful. There is another Dominican friar that I have become familiar with. His name is Father Garrett. William Garrett. I will put the names of these people in the descriptions so that it's easier for my listeners here to remember. There's another Dominican friar named Father Garrett who gave a retreat for the um, Council of Catholic Women at my parish or my, my diocese. We yearly take a retreat and have different retreat masters. And in 2019, summer of 2019, he was our retreat master. And he gave us a little explanation on anger and how it can turn into that kind of projection and judging other people. And what he called it is diverted anger. And he explained that this is when you are so angry at yourself for that failing or that shortcoming or imperfection, but you know that you can't fix it. So you spend all of your time blowing up and getting angry at other people who fail in the same way. You take the anger toward yourself and you divert it over to someone else. And then you spend all of your time trying to fix that person. And yet all the while, the shortcoming remains in you. It's not healthy. It's not productive. And it needs to stop. And again, that dovetails seamlessly with not judging other people and minding your own business. So to close out this section of this episode, I'm going to do this in in two parts. So more appropriately to close out part one of this topic, I am going to read one more little section from... St. Catherine of Siena, Mystic of Fire, Preacher of Freedom. And it says, One of the most striking moments in the dialogue occurs when Catherine openly confesses that she has been guilty of judging other people. Of this sin, however, this sickness, she was completely unaware until God intervened to give her a much-needed dose of self-knowledge. This is a quote from the dialogue. From this sickness have often judged others under the pretext of working for your honor and their salvation. So I thank you, high eternal goodness, for making me aware of my weakness. I ask you, therefore, for grace and mercy, that today I may make an end once and for all of straying from the teaching you have given me, and to whoever is willing to follow it. 
This gospel teaching Catherine passes on to all those with whom she is in contact and at every opportunity. Instead of constantly focusing attention on the weaknesses of others, she urges them to adopt a totally different approach. Quote, realize that we shouldn't trust everything we see, but should put it behind our back so that we will simply be looking left looking at and knowing ourselves. And that's a quote from Letter to Daniela of Orvieto. She says, Realize that we shouldn't trust everything we see, but should put it behind our back so that we will simply be left looking at and knowing ourselves. So this is the close of part one. I will take this topic up again in part two. Stay tuned for that. I hope you enjoyed this topic so far, and I hope you find it beneficial. And I hope that you have a very blessed day.